believe in God? No. You don't believe in God? I am an atheist. It's just I don't even deal with it one way or another. I observe people's beliefs. It's fine. You know, whatever gets you through the night, that's cool with me. Listen, do you believe in God? Uh, yes. Do you? Yes. You're not sure? Like a higher power. Yeah. yeah. A, a higher power. A higher power. Okay, I was 13 and I thought, and I saw Harry Potter and I thought I was a wizard. Really? Just because my mom was that. like all about that. What, now what do you believe? I believe in spiritualism. I believe in karma quite a bit. I believe whatever you, you send out, negative energy, you get back 10 times. We're all carbon-based beings in the same universe, so. Do you believe in God at all? Um, I'm a spiritual person. I don't know if I necessarily believe in God. I wish more people asked themselves those kinds of questions. Do I believe in God? Yeah. Yes. Why? Why? Yeah. It's, it's been a long path. It didn't just uh, happen. I was very adamantly against the idea of God for a long time. Do you believe in God? Well, you know, I don't know that I uh, am a book God person. You know what I mean in terms yeah. of man-made God. Do you believe in God? Yeah, but I don't know um, Which, how God is. Yeah. Um, it's important to believe in something, but I don't know what it is. But do you believe in God? I want to. I have questions. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? The, an example of the kind of question you might ask God. You know, whether God exists or not. I think yeah. I, I believe more in like the power of positive thinking. A personal God is. I think I myself is a God to myself. You're a God to yourself. My world. I am the. At the end, I rule my own world. So I am a God of myself. Well, we got some work to do uh, as church. <laughs> But here, I want to make this really abundantly clear. Uh, if that's you, if, if you found yourself saying, oh, it kind of sounds like me, you're welcome here. We, we want you to be here. We're so glad that you're here. And so would everybody else, just with your applause, say welcome to all of you who are here, wherever you are in the spiritual spectrum. Thank you. The reality is all of us have... Uh, you know, we're a work in pro progress, and so we're going to get very real today about this. We're in the midst of this series of sermons during the month of May called Can You Relate? Talking about relationships with others uh, and what the Bible says about that. But today we're specifically looking at the relationship that you and I and the church and people all over the world have or don't have with God. And the reality is it's getting dry these days, at least in our country. Christianity has never grown faster in the history of planet Earth than right now, than over the last few years. But it's not happening in North America, and it's not happening in Europe. It's happening on other continents. And so we have some work to do. We, and there are reasons for this. We can blame the culture, or we can turn the mirror around and look at ourselves. We're going to do a little bit of both uh, today, especially the mirror that we look into ourselves. All of us, the Bible says, in case we get on our spiritual high horse and start thinking, well, we've got it right, Everybody else has it wrong. All of us, the Bible says, like sheep have strayed away. Every single one of us. We've left God's paths to follow our own. This is Isaiah 53. It's repeated in the New Testament. Romans 3.23 says all of us sin and fall short of God's standard, of where God wants us to be. And the result of that is we're lost. We wander away from God and we wander away from life. God is life. And so we get lost from God, we get lost from this life that God is and that God has created in us. Or we feel overwhelmed. Take a look at this poor person on the bike. 
Does that kind of describe your life these days? I mean, it's May. It's graduations. It's Mother's Day. It's graduation parties. It's all these different things that are going on. It's, it, it, it's, it's busy, busy, busy. And it's already busy before May comes along, too. And then there's youth sports and activities and tournaments and all the other stuff that's starting to come back on the horizon as the temperatures get warmer. We're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with our schedules. We're overwhelmed with all the things that we got to do. We're unsure. We have doubts. We go through different seasons of our lives, maybe, where the doubts are more pronounced. We wonder, we'd start doubting ourselves. We doubt other people. We doubt the, the institutions or the places we used to trust or the governments or whatever it might be. The, the, the way things balanced out, we doubt. Sometimes spiritually we have doubts. All these things can make us unsure. And the result of all of that a lot of times is, in a word, it would be apathetic. We're like the people falling asleep in the windows in that picture behind me right now while somebody else is doing all the work. <laughs> somebody else is ski jumping right past them and they're just kind of evaluating and looking and not really all that interested. They're just sort of observing and going through the motions of another day of life here on planet Earth. Not only do we feel apathetic, as a result, sometimes we can feel unworthy when we get lost. We, we can feel like we don't belong, like we're not good enough, or we can go the other end of that spectrum, and we can get filled with pride, filled with arrogance. And that's a big one these days. We end up buying cars we can't afford to impress people who don't like us. How does that make sense? How, how does that add up? Who, who, are, you, who are we trying to impress? And, and what kind of a hole do we end up digging for ourselves because of that financially? There's so, and that's just one example of many. We do all these things. It, it, it's like we're, we're, we're just running after something. Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament says we're, we're chasing after the wind, but we, and we aren't capturing it. We aren't, we're chasing after life and meaning, but it's meaningless because we're chasing after the wrong breezes. We're chasing after the wrong sources of life. We get disillusioned when we do this. We try to climb the staircase of, of success or monetary wealth and, and, and we buy into the lives. If I just make it to the top of my company or I, I get more money or I have more things, then I'll be, I'll be full. And so if we don't get there, we're, we're dissatisfied. And then here's the, here's the real disillusionment is if we get there, we're still not satisfied. It's not enough. And so we end up worried and sick and tired and worn out and numb and we feel intimidated by the, the rings we're put in. We're, we're intimidated by the challenges we're up against. I mean, does that feel like you, the kid, facing off against the giants in your life? We're lost. We're disillusioned. We're wandering spiritually. We've fallen asleep, a lot of us. All of us like sheep have wandered away. We've gone astray, the Bible says. And there are different seasons of our life where this is more pronounced. We're broken. We're hurt. I mean, we could pretend we're not. Or we can deal with the reality. The Bible says this in our reading for today, Ezekiel 37. We've become old dry bones. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> it's like, what a happy, uplifting message. Hold on. Hold on. Because the great thing about Christianity is... We don't have to deny the reality of the darkness in order to walk out our faith, in order to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't have to sweep it under the rug of denial. We don't have to kind of pretend and just fake it and say, well, I've got it all together. 
I mean, that, that's what you're going to see. I, I, I'm going I'm to become numb if I continue to live that way because I'm just putting up a big charade. Is there more to life than just flipping through and, and scrolling through social media, becoming numb to the world? A lot of times the reaction we have to feeling lost is, I'm checking out. Emotionally, I'm just not going to care anymore. I'm just not going to be involved. I, I'm going to get this, uh, my disillusionment is going to lead to my detachment. And I'm going to be done. Spiritually dry. We've become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Now be very careful with that last sentence. Because here's what a lot of well-meaning, I hope, Bible readers do or Christian preachers and teachers do. They say, this is about the United States of America in 2022. But that's not taking the Bible seriously. It's about Israel and Judah and the people of God in the 500s BC. Yes, there are transferable principles and you'll You'll probably sense those and pick up on those rather easily as we go through this story in Ezekiel 37. But we have to be careful about proof texting, which is, which is taking a text of Scripture off of the page of Scripture and willy-nilly applying it to a context it was never intended to be written for. It is still God's word. It's still relevant. It still applies when we read about what God prophesied through Ezekiel. For the people in the 500s BC, the transferable principles are relevant. But to say God is pronouncing that our nation is finished because we don't like some of the things that are going on, that's not biblical. It might be true, but it's not biblical. We can't play that game. We have to take the Bible seriously. We've become old dry bones. So here's the vision that God gives to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, by the way, is a really interesting dude. Uh, I think a little more background on him is helpful to understand this story even better. Ezekiel was faithful. He was uh, kind of a pretty prominent person. We get, we, we get that sense. He's very intelligent. And he lived in a time that was a difficult time. And I don't think you need me to go and remind you of the laundry list of everything we're up against as a world these days. Wars and rumors of war, coming out of a, hopefully coming out of a pandemic, uh, a, a global crisis that way. Uh, uh, the, the economy feels like it's upside down or certainly tipping that way. Uh, and, and people who are kind of in charge of trying to fix it are saying things like, yeah, we don't know if we can control it. And, and so that's pretty distressing. And, and, and we look at the systems. We look at the things and, and the places they're in. And we start to wonder and we start to worry. And, and we start to feel this sense of being lost. And the temptation is just to detach and become numb and say, yep, old dry bones, that's exactly what I am, and I guess that's what I'll always be. But see, that's the other thing about Christianity. It's not that we can just get real with the reality of the darkness and we don't have to sweep it under a rug of denial. We can bring it out into the sunshine of the light. But we also, when we do that, we discover that God is faithful. I guess the way I'd sum that up is with this statement, don't you ever give up on God. Don't ever give up on God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your future. To prosper you and give you hope. To give you something that's actually worthy of you hoping in. Of putting your faith in. Of trusting in. I want you to put your faith in me. But we've become old dry bones and it's easy. It's, it's so easy for us to do this. So God gives Ezekiel this vision. Verse 1 of our Bible reading for today. Ezekiel writes, this really kind of interesting dude who's taken into exile in the 500s BC, 
And he is, um, as I said before, this really interesting person. At one point, just to show you how dedicated he was to proclaiming God's truth and God's word to the world around him, he laid down on one of his sides for 390 days. Straight. Do you know how sore you'd be if you just laid on one side for 390 days? But he's committed to the cause, and he made himself one teeny tiny little meal once a day, and he cooked it over. This gets a little disgusting, and it's right before lunch, and so I apologize, unless you're watching online in Japan, and then you're fine. But here's, here's the thing. He cooked it over manure every day while he's lying on his side in order to make the point. I do, thank God I do not feel compelled or called to do that for you today, to lie on my side and, and, and make lunch that way. But it's to say Ezekiel was committed to the cause. So Ezekiel is um, given a vision by God. In the beginning of this vision, he's carried away by the Spirit to a valley that's filled with dry bones. And these aren't just any bones, they're the bones that Ezekiel recognizes from the valley where the Babylonian Empire had run rampage over the top of his nation, God's people, the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah had detached from Israel because they disagreed over the issues of their day. So instead of being one nation, instead of being this strong, powerful force in the world that was united in, in God's love uh, under the reign of people like King Solomon and King David, they started to get too comfortable and when they started to get too comfortable, they started to zoom in on and make their primary focus how we disagree with one another within this nation. And so they spent the majority of their energy as religious people not following God faithfully, but by trying to be dismissive of the other side on these debates. Now you're starting to probably hear about some transferable principles. Here's what history teaches us when countries do this. And as far as I know, there are no exceptions. When countries do this, just historically speaking, they either split up and divide, have a civil war, or they humble themselves before a holy God and experience revival and unity. There is no fourth option, historically speaking. We cannot continue like this. We cannot continue down this pathway. God speaks that kind of word to a world that needed to hear it back in the day. He says, you can't keep going like this because you're about to fall into exile. Not just a divided nation, Israel to the north and Judah to the south, which makes you both weaker and more susceptible to enemy attacks. The Assyrians would take over the northern weaker kingdom of Israel that's divided up because they had to have their way and other people had to have their way. And instead of seeing the things that united them, they focused on the things that divided them and ignored the things that united them. God. They didn't have any grace for each other. They only had hatred for each other and each other's views. So Israel's taken over by this massive Assyrian empire in the 700s BC. They're brought into Assyrian exile. Two centuries later, it's Judah, headquartered in Jerusalem, that's run over by the Babylonian empire. Maybe you remember from your history classes, or you're taking those history classes right now in school, about the force of this Babylonian empire in the 500s BC. They're going to take over not just the Middle East, but most of southern Europe, a big chunk of Asia, and a whole lot of northern Africa too. It's massive, it's huge, it is the greatest force, human force, on the face of the earth in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel, this prominent leader, gets exiled to Babylon. 
this city that's at the heart of the Babylonian Empire. Today, it's about 55 miles south, biblical historians and scholars believe, of where Baghdad, Iraq is. And so that's where they're taken, which when you think about it is a big problem. That's not home for them. That's not their neighborhood. That's not their root system. That's not where they're from. That's not the way they want to live their life. Not only are they living under the oppression of another government, the Babylonians, but they're doing so in a land that isn't theirs. They have lost their hope. They're completely numb. They're spiritually dry. They're old bones. So when God shows Ezekiel this vision, Ezekiel recognizes it. And in case you think I'm stretching it too far, by the time you get to the end of Ezekiel 37, God makes it clear. These dry bones represent my people. The people who are now in exile and are in the process of being taken into exile and are in the process of of the holy city of Jerusalem is going to fall and Judah will be no more. There will be no more nation like it was once upon a time under the reign of King David. At least not for now. Not for this era, this season of life. But don't give up on God. Because he sends prophets like Ezekiel to wake up his people. To wake up his kids. To remind them of their identity. To remind them of their purpose and their mission. To remind them of what it means to be a child of God. And he does this by speaking this word clearly and directly. I saw these dead dry bones... And Ezekiel knows that these bones represent the army of his nation that's overrun by the Babylonian army. And the Babylonian empire is so ruthless, they don't even bury the dead of their enemy. They just leave those bodies out there to be picked away by the, by the birds. And so they're left with bones, disjointed bones just lying in this valley. Can you think of anything darker more destructive, a bigger defeat, a bigger loss, anything more depressing. This is the vision that Ezekiel starts with. But watch what happens as you read through this chapter. Because I don't know where you are today. Although I understand collectively that where we are spiritually these days as a country is not in a healthy place. The Christian church is not in a healthy place. And a lot of times... We want to start blaming and saying, well, it's the culture. It's, it's young generations. They don't just get it. You do realize, right, those of you who are older, that when your generation was young, the generation ahead of you couldn't understand you either? That they had serious problems with the way you were trying to do life and thought the whole world's falling apart because of you and your generation? Well, I think it's way deeper than that. That's too easy. It's too convenient. And it's not necessarily fair. It has some serious blind spots as to what we were once upon a time when we were coming of age, whatever our generation was. If you're a boomer, you people drove your parents crazy with your rock and roll and your Elvis and and all that stuff. If you're a Gen Xer like me, the boomers don't get us. You don't understand at all. Our values, we're right. My generation is the only one that's got it right. The boomers are off and everybody after them is a little bit off too. But man, we got it right. Unless you ask any of the other generations around us. And so it goes. It's the generational gaps that come up over and over and over again. And it leads to despair. And it leads to dry bones. And it leads to focusing in on the wrong problem. So you never get the right solution. If you're going to zoom in on the wrong problem, you'll never find the right solution. If you think the, 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 the salvation of the world is we just need to fix millennials... Or we just need to fix the younger generations after them. 
you're not going to get to where you want to go, even if they get fixed, according to you. And if you're a younger generation listening to the older generations, you're like, these people, they're the problem. They need to go away. And then we'll just run the world the way we want to. I'm seeing these dry bones, and then God asks Ezekiel a question. Can these bones become living people again? Is there any hope for the world? Is there any hope for a spiritually dying world of dry bones? Don't underestimate what God can do. Ezekiel wants to know, so he humbly asks, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone are the one who knows that answer. I don't know. I would like to know what you know. I would like to know, is there any hope? Again, the temptation is to blame the world, but why don't we turn that mirror around now for the rest of the sermon and look at the church. I'm not just talking about Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm talking about the whole church, the whole Christian church, nationally and globally, around the world. I'm not just talking about Lutherans. I'm talking about all of them, because it used to be kind of convenient. Evangelicals would say, well, mainline's the problem. We're, we're on fire. Everything's going great. It's the mainliners that are dying. You can't say that anymore. Evangelicals are dying on the vine, too. Roman Catholics are struggling. Pentecostals are struggling. Pick your genre of Christianity. It's all a struggle nationally and globally. There are wonderful, beautiful exceptions to the rule. I've not yet fully figured out why this church, Lutheran Church of Hope, is one of those exceptions to the rule. How we've been able to continue to grow through this. How we've been able to continue to, to, to carry out the mission of the church. But I think it has a lot to do with the stuff that God prophesies to the world through Ezekiel. We're an imperfect church. We make a ton of mistakes. But we try every day to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ. To keep our eyes on who God is. It's so easy to fall into the ditches though. And we don't do it perfectly. And we can fall into these ditches too. There are two huge ditches for American Christianity in the last generation. Number one is what I would call comfort Christianity. It's Jesus the way we want him. Jesus is the way we invent him. I'm not going to really do any in-depth study of who Jesus really is from God's revealed living word, his written word. I'm just going to kind of invent a Jesus. The features of this is sin, you know that S word? We don't use that anymore as Christians or as churches or whatever it might be because it's just such a downer. So we don't talk about sin. We just say, you just do you. You all do me. We just do whatever we want. And I'm sure God loves it. God loves all the decisions we make. God loves all of our behavioral choices. God loves everything that we say or don't say. God everything, loves everything we do or don't do. Sin isn't a thing anymore. Why isn't it a thing anymore? Because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. So we just won't. We'll just pretend that it doesn't exist. And we'll sweep the denial right under the rug. And there's no truth to it, so there's no freedom to it, because it's the truth that sets us free. There's no discipleship to it. There's no spiritual growth to it. There's no transformation to it. There's no changed life to it. There's no assurance of salvation to it. Because we're making up a God who doesn't exist, and if we put our belief in a God who doesn't exist, but is comfortable, we're believing in something that isn't. And you end up with a lot of people who get interviewed by a man on the street a few weeks ago in Chicago, and they say, I don't know, is there a God? I don't know what I believe. I, I'm not even sure. I don't believe. I'm sure there isn't. In large part, because a lot of times the church has presented to them a God who doesn't exist. 
A comfortable Jesus, a comfortable Christianity, a create your own version of Jesus and his church, whatever, whatever you like, whatever your style, whatever, whatever your system, however you want to see it, whoever you want Jesus to be, let's just make him that. Why? Because we said so. Instead of God's word says so. We have to choose. Because what the world has invented Christianity to be is not what biblical Christianity is. Biblical Christianity talks about sin, talks about despair, talks about upside down worlds, talks about doubt, talks about uncertainty, talks about uh, apathy, talks about wandering away from God, talks about all these things in a very honest and a very real and a very open way so that we can find the very real and honest hope that God breaks through into that darkness. The goals of comfort Christianity are conformity. We just want to fit in. We just want to massage our faith so that nobody's offended by it, so that nobody, nobody, nobody disagrees with it. Everybody just thinks we're super, that that's the goal. And we want to fit our faith in with worldly values, but if there's no truth, there's no freedom. Some of you hear this, and here, this is the test. If you hear this and you're like, yes, preach that every week. Just hit them with it. Hit them over the head with it like a sledgehammer our world needs to hear that yes and amen let's sing a song and go home <laughs> the opposite ditch over on the other side of the road is what you maybe are tempted to express and what I suppose all of us do in some season of our life it's angry Christianity it's all law, it's no grace, it's self-righteous hypocrisy and judgment, it's spiritual arrogance, it's I'm the only one who really understands it and gets it, which is basically a definition of a cult. The goals are fear-based, they're power and control. Not kingdom of God power and control, worldly power and control. We need to win debates, we need to win elections, and there couldn't be anything more important. We need to focus on issues over mission. I will sum it up this way for you. We all have to decide as individual Christians. We all have a choice to make, and every church has a choice to make too. Will we be mission-based or issues-based? And I'm not saying issues don't matter. They absolutely do. I am saying, biblically speaking, they are secondary. But if you ask from the outside looking in at Christianity what Christianity looks like for people outside the church these days, they'll say it's the exact opposite. It's all about where you stand on some issue. That's how we define a church. That's how we define whether somebody's really a Christian or not. Where do you stand on the, some controversial, debatable issue of our day? That's the ultimate litmus test, is where do you stand on something that the Bible doesn't say is the main thing? And when we turn God's word upside down, we become dry bones. It's not just a problem for the witness the faithful witness of the church to the world around us it's a faithful problem for you and me because our souls are going to run dry because God doesn't bless that God doesn't bless anger-based Christianity God doesn't bless hatred in our hearts that we care does that sound like the Jesus that we call Lord how did Jesus treat the sinners the immoral people around him with love and grace and invitations and then he called them to change their ways but only after they knew that he loved them only after they knew they were included and they were invited who belongs in our churches who's included who gets to come 
What is Christianity? Every individual Christian and every collection of individual Christians, every church has to decide. Is it first and foremost going to be about mission here or is it going to be about issues? Will we define ourselves? Will we find our identity? Think about American Christianity today. So much of it is, where do you stand on this issue of our day? Because that's the most, what could be more important than that? Jesus could be more important than that. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. My kingdom, my righteousness, then all these other things. Again, not that they're unimportant. Not that we won't teach what the Bible teaches about all these issues. We will and we do and we have. And I have the ruined suits to prove it. Because I sweat through it when I have to go there. But from the outside looking in, or from angry Christianity looking out at faithful Christianity, they'll say, oh, you're just afraid. You're afraid. You're just watering it all down because you don't want to do it. They're, they're mistaking faithful Christianity for comfortable Christianity. It's not it at all. If we persist with anger-based Christianity, the sacrifices we make are grace and love. And Jesus isn't really Lord. Because we've invented our own version of Jesus. Jesus who cares more about winning debates and crushing people who disagree with us than he does about making sure the world around us knows that they're loved. When you meet somebody like the people on the screen who don't believe in God, do you want to win an argument with them? Or do you want to lead them to God's love? Do you have love for them or hatred for them? Do you want to show them the light? Then reflect it. Show the love and the grace of God in you so that it can be attractive. How many people have you ever converted to Christianity by winning a fight with them? By starting with how much you hate them? It's not effective. It's not helpful. And more importantly, it's not biblical. Martin Luther had to correct the church that he loved in the 16th century in Europe. And so he started the Protestant Reformation of the church. And he said it's going to be based on Christ alone, sola Christus. Jesus didn't come and say, come and follow me and I'll tell you where to stand on all the issues of our day. He says, come and follow me and I'll kick open the door to heaven for you. I'll, I'll bring you the kingdom. I'll bring you God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. I'll bring you life. I'll wake you up from your spiritual slumber. Is it possible that we've fallen asleep spiritually and we feel dry because we've been practicing the wrong forms of Christianity? We've fallen into the ditches? Instead of taking the faithful middle, there's a Hebrew word for this in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 8 for idolatry. In the literal definition, it's fascinating. It means conceit. It takes conceit to say, I don't need to listen to you, Jesus. I don't need to, I don't need to submit to you as my Lord. I, I don't need you to tell me what sin is for comfort Christianity. And I don't need you to tell me that I should be focused more on love and grace than, than on the issues of our day. I'm not going to take that. I'm going to drag. That's conceit. I need you to hang out and bless my ditch, whichever one it is. I need you to come and tell me you are who I want you to be, and you will conform to the way I want to see religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is full submission and surrender to the one who is Lord of all and the King of all kings. We say, Jesus, I want you to call the shots instead of me telling you who you are. In the New Testament, the word for this wish or this image or this picture, this conceited picture of Jesus that we invent is sin. It's arma tano. And this word means, well, it might surprise you. Sin does not mean immoral, creepy people. 
Sin is a metaphor. It means you take out an arrow, you put it in a bow, and you see the bullseye, and you see the target, and you aim for the target, and then you get distracted. And then you start aiming for some of the other people in your church. And then you start aiming for people out there in the world. And then you start aiming for all the other things that are out there. That is sin. We miss the bullseye. We miss the target of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical, literal definition of what sin is. You and I all do it. Remember the first verse I started with. We all sin and fall short. We all trip up. We all miss the mark, Romans 3.23. So what does real Christianity look like? Faithful Christianity, biblical Christianity. It's the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's about transformation. That's the goal. It's about revival. It's about, because you're going to change people's behavior way more effectively if that's the goal than your, your, your goal is I need to change your behavior. It's grace-based. It's Christ-centered. It's mission-minded. What gets sacrificed if we practice faithful Christianity? Dry faith. Bones. Lying around in a valley. Misery, worry, fear, hatred, and on and on the list goes. What gets lost if we practice faithful Christianity is missing the whole point of life. So here it comes. Here comes the hope. And it maybe not, isn't coming in the form that you thought it would. But remember, it's Ezekiel. He's crazy. Wake up! Here, I'm going to be your spiritual alarm clock today. Wake up, Christian! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine his light upon you. Snooze. Just nine more minutes, right? Just give me a little more time. I'm kind of busy right now. I got a lot going on. Missing the mark. I've got other things in my life more important. Missing the mark. That's sin. I don't need to put you at the center of everything I do and am, Jesus. Missing the mark. And the problem with missing the mark isn't just we're wrong. It's killing us. We can be alive physically and dead spiritually. And I think a lot of people walking around these days are exactly that. Alive, but dead. Our souls are dried out. And so we have no breath of God. We have no life in us. Look, I'm going to put breath into you. That's what God tells Ezekiel to say to his people. I know you're in despair. I know you're lost. I know you're not home. I know it doesn't feel right. I know it's complicated. I know you're numb. I, I know you're apathetic. I know you're checked out. I know you wish it was the way it was once upon a time. It's not. That's the reality. But don't you give up on me. You hold on to hope. Look, I'm going to put breath into you. I'm going to breathe my spirit into you. The wind of God. At the beginning of creation, those who've been around know this. We talk about this a lot because it's foundational to our identity. God takes the dust of the ground and he breathes his spirit, his wind. The Hebrew word for it is ruah. He breathes his spirit, his life force into it. It's what separates you from a bag of bones. We can be physically alive and spiritually dead, and that's going to get us lost. That's going to explain why you feel the way you feel. Suddenly, as I spoke, Ezekiel writes, there was this rattling noise. 
God says, when I breathe the spirit into these dead bones, they're going to come to life again, like when I created the human race in Genesis. So there's this rattling sound. Pretty sure that was it. And the bones that are separated and, and just all over this valley start clicking together. Rattle, rattle. There's a rattle of life going on. But there's still a problem. At the end of verse 8, God sees it. Ezekiel says it. But they still had no breath. They're physically alive. But they're spiritually dead. Come on. Keep going, prophet. Speak this word to them. Come, O breath of God. Come. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Breathe the spirit of God. Breathe the wind of God. The breath of God. The life of God. Into our bodies. Because without it, we're dead. Oh, I mean, physically we're alive, but there's no life in us. There's no joy in us. There's no peace in us. There's no grace and love in us. There's no purpose and meaning and direction in us. Speak this word. And then at the end of this story, the last verse, verse 10 of the, uh, at least the highlight verse of the end of this story, and all the bones came to life, not just physically, spiritually they came to life and they stood up on their feet and now they're hitting the target bullseye that's the transferable principle are you looking at the wrong target are you looking at the world are you looking at debates and fights are, are you looking at the despair in the world and thinking that's the final word that's it there's no hope wrong target Wrong bullseye. Look again and start to see this world the way God sees it. Let me help you with your aim. Let me teach you to aim for the thing that actually is going to help. That's actually going to transform your spirit. It's going to revive your soul. That's going to turn you from upside down to right side up. They all came to life, these dead bones, and they stood up on their feet. This great army. And there's these signs of this all around us, all the time. I mean, if I had more time, I, trust me, I could stay until the five o'clock service and tell you story after story after story of things. There, there's stuff that's happened just today in between services. People coming up to me and say, well, based on what you said at the end of the sermon, let me tell you my story. And I love it. Tell me. I want to hear it. I do have to get home for lunch eventually, but I want to hear it. Let me just hit you with a couple that have happened over just the last few weeks. One, uh, a couple Sundays ago, or two or three, after the 11 o'clock service, I walked out into the church lobby here in West Des Moines. And uh, I met this big guy. He's like six foot eight. I'm six five, and so usually I don't use, like, I don't go like this to look at people. But I'm looking up at him, and he's an intimidating force of a, of a man. But he's got a gentle spirit. And he says, hey, I want to introduce myself. This is our first time here in person. I'm like, great. You guys live around here then? No, we live in Minnesota. I'm like, cool. Wow. Maybe in the Twin Cities, you're visiting relatives. You're here to experience the resort capital of the Midwest for the weekend. I mean, <laughs> no, we're from northern Minnesota. It's about a seven and a half hour drive. So you got family here then? No, we just drove down for the service here at Hope. 
Is it possible we take for granted what God's doing here every Sunday? What? <laughs> Here was your pastor's response. Why? <laughs> There's a lot of churches between where you live and here. And a lot of them are super faithful. They're not in the ditches. Why? <laughs> he goes, well, to begin the pandemic, our church shut down and it closed and it's not coming back. It's done. <laughs> That's happening all over the world. Well, North America and Europe. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, Christianity is exploding everywhere else. You do know, right, that the continent of Africa is sending Christian missionaries to the United States now. More than that way, they're coming this way. What does that tell you about the ditches we've fallen into? Wake up. Sleepers awake, rise from the dead and let Christ shine his light upon you. And his wife comes out of the bookstore. Ooh, there's the rattle, nice. I haven't heard that all weekend, that's great. Wake up. Here comes his wife out of the bookstore and she starts crying. She's like, oh, this church, somebody invited us to watch it online when our church closed and we haven't missed a Sunday since. And so we were going to this weekend and we kind of had an open weekend and we thought, let's go. And she said, man, it's great online. But man, there's, you walk into that room and it, it's overwhelming. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, oh, I'm in this room every Sunday and I don't feel anything. I, I know, that can happen. It's easy. It's easy to get lost. All of us do it sometimes. All of us go through valleys and seasons like that. What do you have to do to fix it? Just open your heart. Make some room. Let the Spirit of God fall fresh upon you again. Let the wind hit your sails of God's Holy Spirit, the same wind that has resurrection power in it, that takes the dead dust of the ground and turns it into the human race, that takes the dry bones in the valley that have been overwhelmed by the massive Babylonian empire and says, rise up, come back to life again, spiritually. Let me give you feeling, emotion. When's the last time you stepped back and saw your life for what it is? It's a miracle. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. It's mysterious. Because you're not just a bag of bones. You have feelings. You have emotions. You have potential. You feel things. You have the Spirit of God in you. I mean, at least a little. Time to fan the flame. Let it go from a little pilot light to a full fire. Let it burn, let, let, let it overwhelm you. That's biblical Christianity. That's where the new life is. See, as Christians, we don't have to pretend, man, this world, it's awful. It's a total mess. Yes, it is. But God is bigger. And his life, his force, his breath, his wind can restore your spirit can restore, revive your soul, make some room. And you'd be willing to drive seven and a half hours to get here or anywhere else where churches do what we're doing here today. Because now you're hitting the bullseye. You're living for what God made you to live for instead of all the distractions. Oh, this is more important. No, it's not. There's nothing more important 
than you being in a relationship with the God who made you and loves you and saved you and wants to inspire you and bring you back to life again by his Holy Spirit. There's a guy in our church, his name is Jackson. You've probably seen him. He's like one of the friendliest people around. He wears the blue shirts all the time, the hospitality team. I, I got to know Jackson a little bit a few weeks ago when he came in and he says, my name's Jackson. I'm like, I know that. And he says, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I'm like, come again? <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor. I was at a church in Nevada and God called me to come here to Des Moines. That's too long of a story to tell for today, but it leads to the part I want you to hear. He goes, I I want you to know that I have a friend who's a part of an orphanage, the Agape Orphanage in Liberia, Western Africa nation. And I told him about hope during the pandemic, and I invited him to worship with us. And not only did he worship with us, he got the whole orphanage to worship with us. And you think, so they sit down before one of these big screens, right, and they worship in their orphanage. They do not have big screens in their orphanage. Somebody, though, has a little smartphone. (laughs) So for months, every Sunday, they take out this guy's phone, and they put it on hopeonline.tv, and they worship with us on Sunday mornings. Hello, Liberia. How are you? We love you. Thank you for being church together with us. And they sent me, they sent me a picture. And and it's a whole bunch of them that are all kind of sitting around this chair. And they're all worshiping. They're all, it looks like 50 some people. And and they're all worshiping on Sunday. Oh, the stuff we take for granted that God has before us every day of our lives. Let him fill you up with the power of his love and his light and his life. The orphanage in Liberia even sent us a formal application. We're going to take it to the church council. President, it's coming. They want to become an official local site of Lutheran Church of Hope at their orphanage. I mean, look what God is doing. I'm telling you, God is on the move. I'm telling you, you could be missing it. The signs of revival and new life are not just outside as the trees come into bloom and the flowers pop up and the birds start singing. That's the perfect context for you to hear this Ezekiel story today. God wants to do the same thing to your soul. So they all came to life, these dead bones, and they stood up. Man, that'd be your cue. Stand up, wake up church. They all stood up on their feet, a great army, and they gave God praise for who he is, and then go out and keep doing that, church.